Welcome to Not Work Storytelling. This is the show where we untangle our myths and reweave our stories, one ancient tale at a time. I'm your host and lead storyteller, Marisa Gowdy. I'm a myth worker, a story healer, a coach for writers and creative entrepreneurs, and the author of The Sovereignty Knot, A Woman's Way to Freedom, Power, Love, and Magic. If you love what you hear and want to support the show, I'd be so grateful if you become a paid subscriber on Substack. In my newsletter, Myth is Medicine, you'll receive bonus content related to the stories on the show and deep dives into how mythology and folklore can help the individual and the collective in the present moment and beyond. There's a link in the show notes to follow Myth is Medicine on Substack, or you can simply visit mythismedicine.substack.com. Season 4, Episode 5, A Sacred Detour to Iona. Our guest storyteller is Royce Fitz. Royce is a licensed marriage and family therapist and certified dream worker with a doctorate in ministry. His book, The Geography of the Soul, Dreams, Reality, and the Journey of a Lifetime, blends memoir, political and social consciousness, and spiritual wisdom, and takes you to a hidden gem in the midst of the English countryside, the Ridgeway National Trail. I have a special relationship with this book, which explores the connections between physical and spiritual landscapes, between personal and collective histories, and with nighttime dreams, and how they all weave together to reveal and heal the wounds of our lifetimes. Royce is a longtime writing coaching client. I have had the immense privilege and pleasure of walking alongside him throughout his writing process, all the way to now, as he launches Geography of the Soul with Flint Hills Publishing. I invite you to check the show notes for details about the upcoming online book launch event on October 25th. And please do order the book now from your favorite bookseller. Before we explore this week's story, I have a question for you. What about your stories? Whether it's a book project that wants to be birthed, deep, authentic writing to support your business, or a personal creative project you can't quite name yet, I'm here to support your process and help you get your words onto the page and into the world. I work with folks who are writing memoirs, chronicles of the spiritual journey, and books that explore healing and the imagination, even as they explore the toughest truths of life. I support entrepreneurs, especially coaches and therapists in private practice, who wish to weave their personal experiences with their professional knowledge and wisdom. Do you want to build a writing practice and develop the ideas you know you must share? Visit my website, marisagowdy.com, to learn more about my writing coaching services and set up a free 30-minute consultation. There are no words to express how excited I am to have Royce here at Not Work Storytelling. But as is our way on the show, we first ask the story to speak for itself, and then we'll explore all the ways that it still matters. Royce, will you tell us the story? In the beginning, the crone. If you feel the call of Iona, then answer that call and make the journey to her. She is like a very old crone, rocky and barren and eternally loving and gentle and tough and wise. She is very old. She is very holy. There is no other place on earth quite like Iona. Like all Shambhala places, 
Iona shall always be. Iona is a grail-lit isle. Iona is deathless. On Iona, one finds the rainbow, which bridges heaven and earth. By Eleanor Dedeker, lifelong humanitarian and benefactor. Iona, that tiny piece of Earth's crust floated from somewhere or many somewheres upon the vast tectonic plates of our planet to rest where she is now. On Iona, barely three miles in length, you'll find some of the oldest rock on Earth. This three-billion-year-old rock is found almost nowhere else on the planet, and you'd have to travel all the way to Australia to find geologies that are older. Iona has played host to the beginnings of earthly time. She, this old and sensual crone, is a place of genesis. I was compelled to meet this crone on this most sacred bridge between worlds. I felt her call. I ventured to Iona to know her and be known by her, to wonder and converse together. This most ancient of beings, lured, invited me to sail to her and walk upon her rocky shore, her stony self. We joined to explore new creations, adventures, directions through uncharted waters. Together, we visited, filled with the angst and excitement of the unknown. She, this wizened feminine power, wearing the craggy face of this Scottish isle, dreamed with me and beckoned this shamanic wanderer wizard from the faraway prairie. It's easy for me to imagine that this place of oldest rock was one of the places where the goddesses and gods first appeared, metaphorically and perhaps even literally. They sailed in on holy winds, the Ruach of God, as the ancient Hebrews called it, and pierced the thin veil between worlds. The goddesses and gods touched the oldest stones, made passionate, creative love with this crone of the earth and danced upon new sacred ground. The imagery of crone carries beautiful and powerful energies for all of us. But seeing as I am male, I cannot ever fully understand and experienced her multifaceted powers as women can. I do, however, have the capacity to dream, just as do you. Among the countless graceful benefits that are gifted to us through dreaming, dreams teach us empathy for others. In dreams, the self is fluid. You may dream of yourself as male, female, young, or old, as a non-human, a bear, a puppy, a spirit, a ghost, 
a tree, an automobile, an ocean, or a storm. One of the most insightful approaches into the meanings of dreams comes out of Gestalt psychology, which offers that everything in a dream, every symbol, object, sound, aroma, and feeling is a part of you. Everything. And so if a female appears in your dreams, that represents an aspect of the feminine in you, just as it means the same. If a male appears, dreams offer us insights and help us build the empathy to understand the other. Despite our human imperfections, Dreams are designed to feature out-of-the-box logic and transgress waking life rules. They come to expand the dreamer's vision and awareness beyond the traditional and the conventional. But simply, if we don't grow, we die. Evolution, as Charles Darwin and others revealed, is necessary to survive and flourish. Dreams always offer to help us grow beyond our boxes toward health, more wholeness, aliveness, always. I recall a recent dream that was full of wonder and power. I am watching a confusing drama unfolding involving male adults and rowdy male teenagers engaged in some sort of threatening competition in a rural area. Later in my waking state, the area reminded me of the green countryside of England. I see a large black horse who is old and yet still tall and elegant. The teens are riding him, but then the humans disappear from the scene. Now the horse is alone, leaping over large hedgerows, plowing ahead with his feet and legs over and through every barrier that stands before him. Even though he is exhausted, he continues leaping, driven by some necessary and passionate purpose. I admire him so much. Finally, he's finished. He has accomplished his goals. The horse collapses in front of me, lying on his side, breathing heavily and lathered in sweat. I rush to him, but can't find any blankets with which he needs to be covered and to wipe him down. I know that if I do not massage him and wipe the lather off, he will lose circulation, go into shock and die. I use my hands to do the work, deeply rub him, not caring about the messy lather or anything else. I intuitively know this will heal him, and I feel relieved. He will be okay. He will recover. He has much more work to do, more to live for. In dreams, we shapeshift. In this dream, I am an elegant, tall, black steed, exhausted, tired, and passionate. I am shaman, minister, and elder. Sometimes I'm tired of my many years of service, mistakes, 
accomplishments, dreams shattered, and dreams fulfilled. Often I am unaware of my own exhaustion. And even when I feel its weight, I am strong and I can feel the power and energy of leaping ahead over and through the hedgerows of life and its callings. The dream tells me the truth more than I know and care to know about my aging, exhaustion, and someday death. And the dream informs me, confirms the truth of my wizardly creative powers. On Iona, enthused and exhausted from the journeys of my life, I needed to meet that old sensual crone. I needed to be reminded inspired to embrace my own male elderhood. In my over seven decades on earth, I can deeply acknowledge my wizardly powers that grow and season with my aging. I needed to touch a three billion year old being and feel her eternal energy and know I have my own energies to live with the passions of the ages. Yea, though I'm not an old majestic crone, I am an old powerful steed. The sacred feminine, the sacred masculine meet. We commune, dance, receive and give gracious blessings. We, unique within our own separate beings, share the gifts of power, healing, empathy, and love. Oh, Royce, you, this shamanic wanderer, wizard from the faraway prairie. Mm. Thank you for bringing this story here. I hadn't realized really until this moment how, though this book is in many ways about a walk on a specific trail and the whole lifetime that brought you there, this one section that has nothing to do with the trail at all, except everything to do with the trail, so beautifully holds the all of your story and what I know of you in such an elegant, integrated fashion. Yes. Thank you. You're welcome, and to have you know this and reflect this and carry this touches me. I have goosebumps uh, reading the story and listening to how you step into the story, step into the geography of, mm. of this whole book, this whole experience, yours and my geography and the listeners. Well, as you say, I do know this story immensely well, and it feels important to let our listeners in on exactly how I got to know you and know this book mm -hmm. so well, sort of as just the foundation of the rest of our conversation mm -hmm. in that Royce invited me to, to journey with him through the writing process of this book. And I can say that I have touched just about every word that ended up on this page. <laughs> and there's certainly no book I know better in this world than my own would be yours. So to be sitting here with you, holding space, the birthing of the geography of the soul is just, it's just stunning. I'm going to steal one of your best lines right now. And I think you know what it might be is that you gave me that phrase, that which is not yet speech ripe. Mm -hmm. 
And there's ways in which my gratitude for you and my excitement of seeing this book coming into the world. Sometimes it's not yet speech right. We'll try over our, the rest of our time here together. Mm-hmm. Every word has been touched several times and savored and adjusted and in a sense dreamed into. Well, there you kind of gave us a way to to enter into this story because there's so many ways in, just even to talk about the brief passage you shared with us. But Mm -hmm. let's begin with the dream because I feel like in so many ways, that's such the foundation of your being and knowing and even in that sense of sort of claiming dreams out of where we sometimes place them as make-believe or something, those small movies we get to watch in the nighttime. You're someone who's just taught me the deep and important reality of dreams and dreaming. So thank you for that gift. But let's dive into dreams in the general sense. Well, dreams in the general sense, where I go, Marisa, when I hear that invitation is how in our spiritual and physical biology, I do believe that dreams are a part of our evolutionary process and who we are right now and what all the life forms are in this world at some level is generated by this instinctual strange, crazy evolutionary instinct of dreaming, that it rewires who we are, our brain and all of us. And I cannot help to walk in life without believing and feeling that somehow dreams are a part of our ability to change and move And to save ourselves from what is happening because we carry nightmares as well. That sleeping nightmares sometimes become waking nightmares of our people and our world and our the potential destruction. And yet the dream is there in us instinctually inviting us to change ourselves, to be evolved sometimes against our protests. And therein lies so much of where your work is, is that as you speak of the soul and you speak of the spirit and you take us to the vast geological time of Iona moving across the Mm -hmm. planet Mm -hmm. and really personifying her and meeting her as crone, Mm -hmm. you also continue to ground us into the shit of the everyday that is just as mm-hmm. as real, but not more real than this whole soul's journey that we're on. You said it. It's real. Our waking world is not more real than dreams. There is this intimate conversation that whether we are conscious of it or not, probably doesn't matter to the dream world. It helps. However, we have this intimate conversation as we create and understand that upon which we walk and how we live in the sleeping and waking worlds. Mm. Well, you said that which we walk, 
So let's go there a little bit to sort of pulling back the lens because this conversation gets to be about what you just read to us. So I want to make sure we really spend time Mm -hmm. on Iona. But we're also Mm -hmm. in this process of just holding the greater creation here that is your whole book. So do you want to just say a couple of words about what the book is about and where you take readers perhaps around this journey to Iona? So the book grew out of a conscious hike that I felt called to take in 2016. And at that time, I was living on the, what I consider the beautiful prairies of Nebraska. And with lots of life changes that are explained in the book, it was time for me to expand and to keep changing because those life changes were not enough. And I needed to, felt called to, resisted more of the life changes. And that's when I recalled an article I read years ago about this kind of unknown hidden gem of a trail in England. And it always captivated me. And so that memory came emerging up into my consciousness. And it was like, okay, this is one of the ways that I'm going to really be out of the box. Because dreams do the crazy scenarios that happen inside of our nighttime dreams show us that the dream doesn't really give a crap about convention in order for us to grow and change and expand because our ego or conscious self is ruled by anxiety and fear and safety and all that good stuff. So it's like, whoa, then long story short, I did my homework a bit and traveled to England to do this hike. And the hike is on this old trail and it is called the oldest road in england and europe and just that fact captivated me like how does that exist and it emerged after the ice age and began to be used by animals pre-humans and then eventually by humans and it traveled all the way across england and before the english channel existed it traveled across europe it's like, wow, what a road of wonder and what a road of, of history and what a road of for Royce and what a road perhaps for others. And I wonder what memories the road holds of earth and sky and sea and evolution of all of our life forms. So out of that, then this unlocked more roads for me to explore. And that's where on this road called the Ridgeway, I met some people who were from Scotland. And one night as I was preparing to leave the next morning, having stayed at their bed and breakfast, I just said, you're from Scotland, I'd love to go. And so we whipped out some maps and Iona, that I had known about probably 25 years prior, stood out to me on their little map on their library table. And it was an instant, oh, 
I'm going there. I'm going to her. That too was my calling to touch the craggy face of Scotland and Iona. So I'm going to her. I love that. Did you know consciously going to the island that you would feel this sort of sacred feminine presence? Do you remember if that was something you had read about before, if that's something you experienced and then later bound this, the beautiful passage by Eleanor that starts what you read? Do you remember? So this is a yes and a no, and both are true. <laughs> uh, when I first heard about Iona, as I said, probably 25 years before, she was not a she, she was a location, you know, a, a piece of something that I'd never heard of before. And yet that night in this bed and breakfast home with this lovely couple, I know that something got personified as a being because it's like the, if you look at a map of Western Scotland, you'll see all kinds of craggy islands. And yet when I saw her, it's like there's no other choice. I felt drawn. So I believe at that moment, pre-consciously at least, she became a she. Mm. Oh, I have tears in my eyes somehow you describing that. And you know, you and I have spoken about the fact that you are the only male on this season of Notwork Storytelling. And oh, I'm I'm so honored and vulnerable. <laughs> well, generally. Moment, so. <laughs> and that's exactly why we love you so much, Royce. But generally speaking, men have been rare on the airwaves in Notwork Storytelling land, just by the, the way things fall. As they should be, from <laughs> everything I understand. No, and I mean that in love and admiration. Yes, yes. All of this being true. But as part of that, it felt interesting to recognize this particular season of the show was really organizing itself as a herself, as really having, oh, I think I described it in one, in one of my first show of the season, that this season had to unabashedly embrace the divine feminine. Mm -hmm. And in fact, really even be with the dark feminine, not necessarily all war goddesses, but the sense of that which is hidden and that which is concealed and that which is part of the mystery. And so it has just become more and more apparent as everything about this particular season of the show, especially, was that you needed to be here. And especially because you so consciously came to what was once a location, what has always been a goddess in the ocean, as very consciously knowing you were having an encounter with that ageless, eternal crone, and that you came as male, you came as man, you came as a human into this really divinely blessed space. Yeah, that's very well said. When I began the journey from Oxford, actually, after the Ridgeway hike and took that train, I knew I was on a, another level of a stravag, another level of a calling that I felt afraid and excited and knew I was going to be immersed in a lot beyond me. And when you mentioned 
the sacred feminine and how necessary and vital that is to explore. I had at some level my own awareness that I was venturing into an area that I don't know that I felt worthy of in that sense, because the creation of Mother Earth and the goddesses and gods and the metaphorical poetry of all of this that seems to be taking place for eternity on Iona. Who am I as this guy, this male, this farmer kid, prairie wanderer to venture here? And this is where also I began to reclaim my own sense of masculine God-ish energy. And so this was a beautiful coming together. I am saying this respectfully of two divine energies touching each other equal and embracing each other for the good of the universe and for our own healing and expansion. Oh, gosh. I want to just play that on repeat for a while. And I Mm. so adore the way that speaks to something I think that's often missing in this quest to revive, to reclaim, to embody the divine feminine. And I've said this facetiously to friends before. It's like, it's funny how so many women want to be a goddess. And I, I have my own questions about that. And yet, Mm-hmm. Very few of us want to actually be in relationship with a God. That is not part of the languaging we use. Mm-hmm. And that in and of itself shows multiple layers of our modern day toxicity, all of the ways in which power differentials have been goofed mm-hmm. up and mixed up. And we've mm-hmm. denied our own inherent divinity mm-hmm. as both masculine and feminine. Mm-hmm. But in hearing you describe it, it feels like that very necessary but often missing piece of this sense of in our search to name and reclaim the divine feminine it is always also has to be that reclaiming of what the divine masculine might be and that it can be and must be embodied so thank you so much for just offering us that and you're welcome and we live our, our world is so effing wounded with how we view feminine, how we view masculine. And what I experience and want us to explore is we are having an intimate conversation. And if we can breathe into this possibility of what the new evolution of masculine and feminine look like. So we are not either or. We have intimate conversation. That that is beyond speech ripe. It's beyond living ripe. And I believe for our salvation of this amazing planet, this is a part of how we have to explore in order to save each other out of community and out of communion. And as you speak to the great collective in terms of how we maintain our planet, 
perhaps that save our planet and how we are in community. What I feel like is so beautifully highlighted in, in the passage you read and what you described is in coming into relationship with Iona in this way, you could fully claim your shamanic wizard right. full self. And then it's always meant to be at this holographic level of when I'm in relationship with the all, I can be the most myself. And then I get to fade back into the all in this constant dance. Well said. <laughs> that is well said. I don't know that I can unpack all of the truth that you've just reflected. The wounded masculine has been so pervasive and in charge. I'm going to take a risk and try to describe what this path was that I needed. I don't believe I could experience the full, what I believe, in the movement toward my healthy masculine. I don't believe I could have experienced that had I not experienced the goddess Iona, as I describe her. We all come stumbling, tumbling, and crumbling into our earth as we walk. And I carry my the, the wounds of the universe as well as the wounds of my own masculine energy. And Iona was such a kind of a new awareness that insisted to be there and she has survived and in you know the chapter i try to describe the awfulness and the beauty that has transpired on her rocky craking shore and she survived and it's like oh, okay there is for me a new way to view myself and a new way to view what she represents. Part of me wants to just stay and keep waxing poetic on Iona and all of her magic. She does that. <laughs> yes, yes. She she puts us into this trance. Yes. You know, poetic feels, trance. And we all need more of that. That, that is for sure. But what feels important to mention here, too, are for folks who don't know your fuller biography and what you brought here, as we're talking of the divine feminine, as you are speaking mm -hmm. wizards and shamans, I don't know that many people would necessarily expect that you grew up in a fundamentalist Christian parish, and that was your whole childhood, and that you're now working for a segment of the U.S. military. Mm -hmm. These are not the pieces that folks are thinking they're hearing. They're thinking mm -hmm. you were born on a hippie commune right. and your your actual <laughs> given name is Rosebud <laughs> right. Moondust and that you just Ooh, were hatched this way. i write that one down. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we can wax philosophically and poetically about what we've just shared. And for me, this is a physical world I have to walk in where I touch the dirt, the sand burrs, and that touches me. And yeah, I was raised in a very concrete, absolutist mindset and theology. And, and at the same time, I was raised on the prairie that I dearly love. 
And I could feel the ageness of the prairie. And also, I knew that this philosophical stuff has to have some practical applications. And that's not always a conscious kind of plan or strategy. This is just is like, as you alluded to, I work in some segment of the military community. I'm a military family life counselor. I walk every day, as I did this morning, into what I consider our shadow world. In part, we have many shadow worlds in our culture and in our nation, many wounds. This is where I have been called to walk. And it causes conflicts in me literally every second. When I am moving around, having little conversations, big conversations, deep conversations, nothing conversations. When I'm in this military world where destruction, where death is often the primary goal for training. And it's like, how do I talk beauty and grace and evolutionary change when this is a part of our world? This is a part of my world. I'll stop there for a second. I have to catch my breath because it's heavy. It, this is heavy stuff. It is. You write a lot about paradox because you know it in mm. a way that I don't think I've ever met many folk before who mm. know paradox the way that you do. Mm. And I love that you have a phrase for what you bring to these various bases and posts in the U.S. military and that subversive compassion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So before I started my strategy into England, and I had a rather basically conventional life as a psychotherapist and pastoral counselor in the world, I didn't think of a lot about it, but I, I had a good philosophy, a good theology of what paradox looks like. When I said yes, though, to move into military world to try to be this molecule in the side of this megaverse of potential and very real destruction of who we are. I felt the paradox. I didn't seek it. It was in my face. Every moment I'm there, I feel the paradox, the yin and yang of who we are as humans, the awfulness and the beauty, the healing and the destruction all at the same time. I live paradox. And over the years that I've done this, uh, this may sound strange, I learned to accept and even welcome the pain of the paradox of holding both the yin and yang, the light and dark. And what I also believe is this is not just Royce. This is how all of these humans who are in this environment carry some version, probably very unconscious because of their training and whatever their aptitude is. We all carry this yin and yang of light and dark and destruction and healing. And so, yes, my goal is to carry compassion 
And I can't go around hugging people and saying, you know, I love you. It's like, it, this is subversive and this is okay. And at some level, there is a beautiful unfolding that occasionally happens where we all can see, yes, healing and the possibility of change and hope in concrete ways can exist. No guarantees. That's the uh, another scary part. Yet, this is what I do. Somehow, the image of the plates of the earth rubbing together is what comes mm. to me when I think Tectonic. about the way, yes, and the way that you hold the paradox of light and dark and of the military industrial complex and the entire complex of the heart and dream. And I feel like you sort of, in that friction, you feel the burn of it and it gives you the energy at the same time. Hmm. Yeah, you're saying it so well. I feel the burn of it and it gives me the energy, that friction. Yeah. And I didn't know this 10 years ago in the way that I know this now. And how that friction of the tectonic plates of life and earth and destruction and possibility of healing. Yes. The burn. And somehow this reminds me of the fact that the chapter from which you read is actually called Sacred Detours. Mm -hmm. And it seems as if perhaps as we look at every part of our conversation today, every element of this conversation could have been a sacred detour. Because what did we come here to talk about? I, I don't know, story, Royce's story, Iona. And yet we know that it's always about the all. And I feel like there's just something mm -hmm. That I've certainly learned from you of us getting together and chatting over, gosh, what is it, six years we've known one another now? In terms of how many sacred detours, like in, in writing the book, like it's like, well, this is a book about a hike, but it's also about this and it's also about that and it's also about this and this and this and this. <laughs> and then ultimately it becomes this fantabulous Celtic knot, for lack of a better term, of sacred detours that come together to make a memoir, but to make a life. A couple of years ago, and or longer perhaps, in the writing of the book, and as you and I were working together, and my calling to write and my struggle to write and holding this friction, as you described it, this burn. And there was a time, probably a thousand times, when it was like, I don't know that I can actually do this, share this. And there was a moment, I don't even remember my words of frustration that I shared with you. And you reflected back in a way that was like, in my heart, you said, this is a big book, Royce. This has big topics or big ideas and big messages. And when I heard you say that, I had this deep sigh of relief, like, Oh my God, goddess, <laughs> I'm heard. This is true. And in the energy with which I heard you reflect it back to me, this is okay. This is what this is about. This mm -hmm. book, this story, these many stravags 
in various aspects, these detours, these sacred detours, these planned steps all need to be shared. That really transformative moment when you recognize that the thing you're creating is both much, much faster than you ever had allowed yourself to imagine and yet is also something that can be accomplished word by word and page by page and will become a thing that can be held in someone else's hands. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's some sort of poetry here in the sense that we're talking about a very small island. This is a very tiny piece of Three miles-ish. Yeah. Right? And we didn't even get to touch on the history at what you do in your chapter the history of all that has happened on this little sliver of land. But it just gives me this sort of sense of the, well, I think one of your sections actually is called Earth as Poetry, but it's sort of the the poetry of the size and scope of the human heart and of the human spirit and of the much more the cosmic spaces Mm -hmm. and how we distill it to one word and how it's a a vision as vast as a lifetime and as vast as the universe. Mm -hmm. And these are these moments I think you and I just get to sit together and just kind of go, gee whiz. (laughs) So Royce, I feel like we could continue to talk about this all day. I know we're going to have some other opportunities to come together on some Mm -hmm. other podcasts to, to speak about this. But where would you like us to sort of land? We've given folks, Iona, we've given folks some of your journey your beautiful perspective on the masculine and feminine, where would you like to land us? This book called me before I was aware I was going to write a book. Mm. And I knew I was going to journal on my trip and did that various various times. It wasn't until I got back that that the book said, she said, this is going to be a book. And I have other ideas for books that were, you know, more or less on the front burner. And what I understand about the why is that the sharings, the vulnerabilities, the compulsions that I explore in this book is an invitation for the reader to do their own stravag. This, for me, is vital. This is what has compelled me these six years to keep writing and to find a publisher and to do whatever is needed to be done. Because I know there are folks out there, sisters and brothers, that have a yearning for something and they know not what, and that this book may offer an idea, a way to take their own internal, external stravag to their undiscovered country to expand. This, and (laughs) I'm going to sound a little preachy, and I'm okay with this. This is vital for who we are as a life form on this planet, in this little universe, for us to dig deep inside and dig deep outside about who we are and how it is that we walk spiritually and physically in this 
experience that we call life. This is vital. Royce, I want to invite you to please keep telling people, reminding people what is vital. Because if you don't have that ability, that eldership, that shamanic wizard mm-hmm. grounding that you do, mm-hmm. nobody does. So please keep telling us what's vital uh-huh. because it is, and again, tell isn't quite the right word, but it's, it's an invocation of vitality, perhaps, when you remind us, go take the stravag of the soul. And we are very purposely not going to define that word for people or give its background. You need to purchase yeah. a copy of The Geography of the Soul, Dreams, Reality, and the Journey of a Lifetime to know what stravag means because it's a very key word mm-hmm. in this book. And I love how we sort of left it as our lingering mystery. Yes. Thank you so much for being present with me for those six years. and today and for allowing me to be present with you and your listeners i celebrate their energy this is a moment of arrival and it's a moment where we get to take the next step into the next journey i'm not done journeying with you yet i don't know what's happening next but Mm -hmm. i'm so grateful we've had this time together let's keep going reach it sister i'm ready thank you royce Thank you for tuning in to the Not Work Storytelling Podcast. Please subscribe and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. And do share this episode with other lovers of myth and story. By the way, everyone is a lover of myth and story, even if they've forgotten. Creating this show is a labor of love, and your support will help me continue to craft and share stories through season three and beyond please consider becoming a paid subscriber over on Substack, where I'm writing and creating additional audio magic with my newsletter and content hub, Myth is Medicine. You can find out more about my writing, my book, our online creative community, The Heroine's Knot, as well as how to work with me as a coach at marisagowdy.com. Music on the show is by the wonderful Beth Sweeney and Billy Hardy, a Celtic fiddle and multi-instrumental duo based on Cape Cod, Massachusetts. The traditional reel we play at the start of the show is called The College Groves. Find out more about their music and shows at billionbeth.com. Gratefully, I live, write, work, and record this podcast on the ancestral lands of the Muncie Lenape tribe, whose name means original people. <laughs>